Welcome to the Rock Music Podcast, hosted on Google Hangouts. Hey everyone, this is Nate Owens, Aaron Van Valkenburg, Ryan Steiner, and Jonathan Van Valkenburg. We are uh, back again to talk about a few of our favorite songs and albums. Um, the structure today is a little different from what you might have heard in our first episode. First episode, we each picked one song and just kind of chatted about each one at length. This time, we've picked three songs. Three of us have picked a song, and one of us has picked a, a whole album to talk about. And so I'm going to try and... Uh, I'm, I, I picked the album this week. I'm going to try and curate the amount of time we spend talking a little better than maybe we did last time. But uh, I do want to kind of get underway here. Is everyone is everyone ready to get started here? I'm ready. All right, cool. This time I think it'd be good if we went ahead and John, let's start with you. And guys, as we do this, let's be sure we actually mention the titles of the songs we picked. We didn't actually do yes. that last week. We just kind of <laughs> inferred it as we went. So if people recognize the songs, great. But if not, they might have been up a creek. So John, we'll go ahead and start with you. Um, tell us uh, what song you picked and tell us kind of why you picked it. Um, I chose Out of Tears off of the Rolling Stones album Voodoo Lounge. Definitely my favorite Stones album. I know that's not probably everybody's favorite Stones album, but it is mine, so you can suck it. Um, I love that's it. A very Stones kind of response to it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's my. It's it's really my favorite of all of their albums. I didn't pick up on the Stones until probably senior year in high school, at the very most. Um, I think that's when, right, a senior year or uh, maybe freshman in college when Bridges to Babylon came out, and I uh, I kind of picked up Voodoo Lounge because that had been one that had gotten some acclaim, and in this song in particular, I for me it's just such a beautiful song, and was nothing like what I um, had ever heard from the Stones. You know, I was used to their more in-your-face kind of stuff. And it is in its own quiet way. But, you know, even the production is much softer um, than a lot of the other stuff. Why I picked it, it's it's my favorite song on the album. Um, and, uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I you know what, John? I've My exposure to the Stones until just recently is was pretty limited. I'd listened to Exile on Main Street. Uh, about a year or so back, just for the first time. And besides that, I just knew the big hits, you know, Satisfaction, Start Me Up, stuff like that. And so this was my first exposure to anything off of Voodoo Lounge. And you're right, I, I liked it. had a sort of tenderness with that sort of, that Mick Jagger uh, bite that he's really good at writing. I, I think the, the, the one thing I really like about the Stones is that they are, for, for good or ill, are totally committed to making the lyrics as raw as they have to be. Um, by which I mean, you know, they have a lot of, especially from the 60s, a lot of their songs are really kind of misogynistic, like Under My Thumb and stuff like that. And it's it's weird that it doesn't make it unlistenable. It's just like, this is it's just very honest and kind of uncut. 
And this has that quality, except it's a vulnerable honesty. It's not a it's not a swagger like you get from them, but it's still that kind of un, unchecked emotion that you get. And I and I think you're right. I think the production keeps it from being too saccharine. I think, you know, I, in my head I wanted to compare it with like really big Aerosmith ballads, which you know those are all well and good, but they they're they're a little overwrought. And this one didn't have that quality. It had a it was felt much more. Um, I guess genuine would be the word. I don't really like that word, but you know, it just it just felt much more organic and a lot less uh, overdone than those kind of songs can often be. So I I loved it. I thought it was great. I'd like to jump in there for a second with the Aerosmith comment. <laughs> I definitely when I heard this, the first thing I thought was Aerosmith should cover this, or probably <laughs> did at some point in their minds. And so there you go. I agree. Yeah, this will give you a Dylan vibe, too, a little bit. Yeah, to some extent. It's a little, not even quite as, it's a little more direct than I think Dylan would be. Although, it, lyrically, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Just Like a Woman, which is one of my favorite Dylan songs. And again, a little misogynistic, a little bit of, man, women suck, which... <laughs> Chicks, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Boy. <laughs> kind of, yeah, and the other, the other one I thought of is... Um, Lyrically is uh, just like a woman by Billy Joel of all people. She can kill with a smile. She can wound um, with She's only or, a woman. To yeah, me. yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, she's only. Yeah, she's always a woman to me. That's another one that's like, man, women. Am I right? And and this one's not nearly that that level of aggression, but it is had that same kind of like, just really open heartbreak kind of thing. So. Yeah, I I liked the song. I. Uh... I'd never heard it before either, and I haven't really listened to much Stones. When I was listening to it, I kept thinking, this is like the most 90s song that was never really played in the 90s. Like, it just made me think of like every teen romance, romantic movie from that period where it would just play at the end as the lovers are coming back together. It was like nostalgic, but I'd never heard it before with no real memories attached to it. It just had that that time captured really well, which was really 1994. interesting. Yeah, it's such a recent period that I don't really reflect on it as a period. Um, recent but, is 20 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I'm an old dude now, apparently. So, yeah, it was weird to be nostalgic about something I'd never heard before. But it was it was a good song. It was it just had that kind of like you said that big ballad feel to it, but but also kind of more intimate lyrics and it was a good balance. Yeah. Aaron, do you have anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I, I really like the song right off the bat. And I liked it more when I actually just decided to go listen to the whole album, Voodoo Lounge. Mm. I thought it was just... Some songs just seem better in that context because that album is so diverse. It's fun. And just there's just one end of the spectrum of expression uh, for that whole album, which is just... Um, was really shockingly amazing just because I, I didn't really know the stones weren't washed up in the 90s yeah part of the 80s I, I really kind of imagined the stones at least did before as a 60s 70s group that kind of kept on playing and playing and then there's a super bowl and then they're still playing you know when not not that's not exactly the story one other thought i thought that was Again, bringing in some kind of a, a formal musical 
um, thought. The song kind of, uh, you know, there's verses and choruses. Verses are usually in songs changing words, but the same for a certain set of music, and choruses tend to have the same words. And the chorus here is the I won't cry when you say goodbye, etc. Um, and the I can't feel, feel a thing, I can't shout, all that is the verse. But what's interesting is at the beginning, you get a verse and then a chorus. And then from then on, to help build the song, they add what a lot of people call a pre-chorus, which is the, and I just can't pour my heart out to another living soul. Right. And pre-chorus in a lot of pop music tends to kind of help propel the song forward in a lot of pop songs. Uh, and what's interesting is they use a really simplified and kind of minimalistic formal structure at the beginning. That sounds so like, you know, whatever, but it's just verse and chorus. And then they help move it forward um, by adding another um, a formal structure. And that, that pre-chorus helps bring in and gives you a little, uh, heightens our anticipation for the chorus which then is an extended chorus and so on. And that's the structure you get from then out. So I really like how it builds um, both emotionally, but it's also helped out by the, the structural features that are added. Yeah, I, I, I agree, and I think it's just the stru structurally the song felt, it's weird because the song's like five and a half minutes long. It's not a short tune, and it doesn't feel that long. Sometimes five-minute songs, they can kind of weigh on you after you get to a certain point, and that one, it just felt like, Boy, I could listen to a couple more minutes of that, which is rare for me with the song. Um, one thing I, I, I'm going to touch on this real quick, and then I'm gonna, we should probably need to move on. But Aaron, you talked about how you kind of always considered the Stones like a dinosaur act, which is not—I I don't think that's an uncommon assessment. And I, and one thing I—we'll I, probably cover this more as we go forward. But I'm always interested when you get a band that's been around for you know 20, 30 years, and they start releasing albums. You know, the album releases kind of slow down. You get one every four or five years, and they do a big world tour and then they settle down and release another album in five years. And um, I'm kind of fascinated by those albums because usually most people will either be like outright dismissive of them, which isn't really fair because they're usually better than that. But it's also like there's this sort of idea: is is rock music really a young man's game? And to some extent, I think it is. But then you get someone like the Stones who are able to still stay relevant well into their 60s. And I think are they are they above 70 now? I oh yeah, they probably are <clears throat> yeah. Their first album came out in the '60s. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, so I mean, they're 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 way up there, but they're still. I mean, I don't. When was their last album, John? Was that uh the one in '05? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, they, probably they, around there. Because Bridges this, of Babylon, yeah. I think, was like 2000 or '99. This is yeah. number 20 or something like that. Yeah, it's up there. But anyway, I'm just fascinated by when we get a really great song from a band that's later in their career. And when a band is just able to really, man, they still have it when you hear those kind of songs. And that's always really satisfying to me. Well, let's go ahead and, and transition a little bit. Ryan, you want to go next? Talk to us about what song you picked. Yeah, I picked um, The Wire by Haim. from Wikipedia is how you say their name. Mm -hmm. Glad to finally learn that. Uh, but I just picked this song because I've been listening to it a lot 
since I've heard it last year, uh, kind of all the time. So it floats near the top of my recently played list. Um, but yeah, it's just a really poppy tune, and I thought it'd be fun to talk about. It's kind of got some, what I think of as leaning towards a newish kind of sound um, in it. But what did you guys think? I think it's ironic that you say it's a newish kind of sound when the press, you know, the premise of the three girl uh, harmonizing, you know, daughter, uh, sisters group is, you know, not new at all. Right. Um, totally their, fresh their sound, though. Is, it, is it, not new either. I mean, it reminds me again a lot of the 90s kind of stuff um, yeah. and reintegrating that with, you know, more rock influence. But, um, it seems to be a style that is more in vogue now, I guess, is what I was leaning towards. But yeah, yeah. The, everything that is old is new again. Um, and, you know, that's especially in the indie scene. Um, that's 100% true. I loved this song. I never heard of Haim uh, and never had heard this song, I, which is odd to me because I generally tend to stay up on music. And I like the very kind of underground type music, but I mean, I loved it. I was very happy to, and I went through and I listened to the album. Also, it was another one kind of like what Aaron said with, um, with Rolling Stones. And it, you know, I, I wasn't as overwhelmed by the rest of the album, but this song was definitely a hit. And uh, I like, I, I will definitely keep an eye on them as a band growing, uh, going forward. Um, to, you know, see what else they can put out because it was it was a ridiculously catchy tune, and I heard that they he, I think they said in an interview because um, there's a commentary track I think on Spotify uh, for Heim oh, for this cool. song, and I think they said they did they did like 70 takes to get it right because of all of the really intricate uh, layering and you know the rhythm is. You know, of the of the yes. wording is really difficult. Yeah, I have so, some yeah. thoughts on that. Whenever we get to that, um, Aaron, so why don't you go ahead and I'll, share? Yeah, that go ahead. I'm yeah, that's, what that's what struck me. Um, love the song. Actually, I like this one the most up front. I think I probably like out of tears just as much um, now, but maybe more. But um, this one, it just has a different kind of layer, but this one is very rhythmically complex in a lot of uh, kind of syncopated delivery of the lyrics. Syncopated is kind of just like a emphasis on exact points of the rhythm that are on the beat. Um, and so I think it's really cool when they do that with a, more than one vocal. And that's the other thing. Um, so I could definitely see how this took some of my takes. It did have kind of like an ABBA vibe. You know what? You know what song it sounded like to me, and I, this may sound like heresy, but it reminded me no end of Gwen Stefani's "The, the Great Escape." Um, whatever one that has the woo, it, it reminded. I heard it was like, oh, it sounds a little like that. But having said that, I I really like this one a lot too. I don't think I feel like I'd heard it at some point, but I I might not have. I you know you talk about the really the really um, nuanced I intricate. Uh, musicality of it, and that that points to some really good production that was able to 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 let all those all those threads come together 
and not overwhelm the song because I, I've heard songs by bands I really like that have almost too much going on and then the hook is buried and that is not the case here. I mean, it is right. It is front really, center. Yeah, it's 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 very aggressively catchy. In yes. fact, um, and I, I I really like that side of it. Um, one thing that I I was intrigued by it's. I don't know. I, I should have done some research, and I'm, I'll try to do more of this in the future. But I don't know exactly what kind of success Haim has seen. Haim, Haim, Haim. Haim. Hey, wait. No, quick I'm... note. I'd like to add. They used to be in a band called Rockenheim, which oh. I think is awesome. Side note. Continue. That is pretty great. Okay. Well. Anyway, I don't know what kind of uh, success Haim has seen. You know, in, in terms of you know sales or charts or whatever. But it felt like, I mean, lyrically, the song feels like it's shooting for a crossover hit because it's just a very kind of relatable, you know, almost had it love song and not in like a bitter, sad way, but in that really kind of bouncy, jumpy way. Aw, shucks. Yeah, yeah. So like, oh, man, missed it by that much kind of feel to it. (laughs) And a lot of times I don't associate love songs like that, you know, kind of the, the poppy love song with more of an, uh, with, with sort of an indie group, you know, I associate that with someone like, you know, Maroon 5 or something like that, who's trying to, who's going to try and climb the charts, and maybe this song has or will, for all I know, but that was what I, what struck me about it, it's a incredibly mainstream kind of song, from, and it, it doesn't sound weird on their album, it's not like, because sometimes you get one song that's really really poppy and crossover and then the rest are just kind of doing whatever. I mean the whole album's like that and it's like man this is gonna it should be successful in that if there's any justice. There rarely is but you know. As far as success I I mean I think I read that they um, did very well because they um, got into South by Southwest in what is that in Austin Uh, and that kind of got them into the mainstream um, a little bit but I mean, other than that, I mean, I hadn't heard of I hadn't heard of it, but uh, well, and, it's a shame. Yeah, and and anymore, what is mainstream? You know, I mean, that's right. The internet has changed that ridiculously. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. This is kind of interesting, I think. But I mean, this album was there was an EP before that. Like it seems like there always is with these indie acts, but. You know, there was there was an EP before that, and it was hyped up really big, and and they were playing some shows, and they were getting a lot of good, you know, critical reception and buzz and that sort of thing. And then this album came out, and it was like, oh, you know, it's good for a pop album, you know, like kind of the smarmy, <laughs> like it's not really true indie cred, like it didn't have that sort of um, those sort of bona fide bona fides or whatever to them. So it's it's kind of interesting that it's like. I hear the popness. I think it's like a great pop album. If you're talking about pop as a genre, like it's a really good pop album. And there's good pop and there's bad pop, just like there's good rock and there's bad rock, you know. Um, but it's weird that, like you say, Nate, it kind of it aims to have more of a mainstream appeal, but it doesn't sacrifice being really good music. Um, so I think I think that's kind of interesting. Right. Background. One thing that I think that makes it really good music, I think they do a good job with the text expression again. The first line is, you know I'm bad at communication, it's the hardest thing for me to do. And we already talked about the complex syncopation. This is more syncopated and more rhythmically complex than most pop. 
And I think that's expressive when you listen to this kind of jagged delivery. This does kind of sound like someone who's not very good at speaking clearly. You know, in his way, it's like, okay, this is a perfect embodiment of, okay, this is kind of awkward. I'm not really good at saying this. And it's just, and there are like, there are lots of ways the text doesn't fit that way. And then there's a moment, the beginning of the chorus that really, uh, you can juxtapose with that where it's very monotone kind of quality. The always keep your heart locked tight. Don't let your mind retire. And to me, that's like recalling this kind of, mantra or this kind of uh it's it's like trying to draw in upon this idea you are taught when you're young or something like that and that delivery of one pitch it makes it stand out and it's very simple rhythmically as like oh this is what you're supposed to know to always keep your you know like a sing-song kind of um proverb or something whatever it would be um and i think that's a very good expression because they, they juxtapose this really complicated, strangely communicated rhythm, if you will, with this straight, monotone opening to the chorus. And I think that's a great way of expressing what they're trying to get out of the text. And then if you want to be all tacky, the fumbled it um, when I came down to the wire is always the, this syncopated, descending line. You know, it's so that you get the, this fumbling, stumbling over rhythms kind of thing uh, with descending lines. So as far as musically expressive, I think there's a lot of like musical aspects that are kind of aligning with the text. Well, and the whole like, and I know, and I know, and I know, you know, that that's like a person saying, you know, it, it feels conversational. You know, I know, I know, I know, I know. You know, when you're trying to, you know, explain why you you need to, okay, I can do, I'll go do this, honey, you know. You know, right. that, that kind of thing. Uh, you were supposed to take out the trash. I know, I know, I know, I know. Exactly. Um, but uh, it's actually pretty um, pretty interesting because I don't know if you would lump this group in with, like, Lord, but she's doing a lot of really interesting things with rhythm and lyrics as well. Um, so, I mean... Yeah, maybe Pure Heroin just... was one of my favorite albums from last year. That was a really Yeah, that was a really album. good album. Um, and it pushes into kind of new, newish sounds, I think, in a different way. But um, that's one that I'd like to talk about sometime in the future, too. But, yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to come to that one. Does anyone else have something they want to add to The Wire by Haim? Nope, Heim. just awesome song. Haim. 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 Not Haim like Corey Haim. I've been saying Haim in my head for I did, too, until I read for a couple weeks. Page. Thank you, Wikipedia. Yeah. All right, Aaron, we're, we're on to your song here. Tell us about what you picked and why you picked it. Yeah. Um, I chose Angel of Death by Slayer. But this is a uh, very important thrash metal track from an extremely important and influential thrash album 
Rain in Blood by Slayer, 1986. 1986 is, is about three or four years into thrash metal, and it's really when thrash metal is starting to mature. And this album really stands out to all the thrash guys. I mean, Lars Ulrich says this is like the best thrash album of the 80s. So Slayer was very important in this way, I think. And I think this is very heavy. I, I've listened to a lot of thrash, Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, Exodus um, from the 80s. And this, in its time, is as heavy as it is. At this point, you have Metallica's Ride the Lightning, which had some heavy tracks. For Whom the Bell Tolls, you might know that track. Ride the Lightning, of course. And then Master of Puppets is 1986. Ride the Lightning is an awesome album. And Ride the Lightning's a great album. Um, yeah. And there are others as well. But this this one is definitely the heaviest. And also um, the shortest. This is a 29-minute album. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, Never outstay your welcome. I mean, they have 10 tracks, and that's the, the <laughs> they normal thing. They knew That's right. Metallica would do 10 tracks. And it would take uh, no, they Nine might hours. do ten tracks. And it would take like an hour. Fish. And this is yeah, yeah. This is ten tracks in twenty nine minutes, so it's kind of crazy. But this is the longest track on the album. Um, it was very controversial because of the lyrics. I think if you looked at got a chance to look at the lyrics. Yeah, um, I unfortunately did. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting, and so I think that's one of the key things. This is extremely controversial. It delayed the um, release of the album. In fact. And as you might imagine, it's still debated too, from what I see. Yeah, controversial in Europe, um, Germany especially. Go figure. Um, this, the lyrics are by the guitarist uh, Jeff Hanneman, and he was just kind of interested. He's basing this off of the writings of a Nazi physician called Josef Mengele, who is an, uh, a physician, a doctor in Auschwitz. Mengele, um, yeah. And so he performed human experiments and things like this. Uh, and, and a lot of the lyrics are, you know, discussing these things. And you're thinking, so why do we want to listen to this? But I think part of what Slayer's doing and what thrash metal was about was trying to draw on these kind of dark and evil images as a way of bringing to the front, like, the problems in life, I think, as a kind of a reaction to a lot of the glamour of metal in the 80s and so on, like uh, pop metal. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't get the impression that they were horrible racists, that this was like actually saying, no, no, this is awful stuff, and like talking about it by, you know, That's illustrating where the, debate the point is. of how awful it is by doing it in depth. I mean... Unless right. I've been singing the song in my head in places. <laughs> or yelling it because there's not really much singing. It's a lot of yelling, which is interesting. <laughs> you, um, know, I, you know, Aaron, I, it's, I, I think this song... I, you know, I've, I've, I'm familiar with some thrash metal, mostly early 80s Metallica. Ride the Lightning is actually my favorite Metallica album, and I've heard, a number, I've heard most of their stuff. I I think I I haven't heard Death Magnetic I think but I, I so it was weird when I first heard this I was like this is like being asked to describe a painting when you can't recognize color because I I felt like I didn't have the musical tools to assess quality on on this song 
Now, having said that, I went and did a little bit of research because I wanted to know kind of how old the song was, not having any context about the song aside from what I heard. And yeah, and I found out kind of a lot of what you're saying here that this is a this is like a, a really seminal song in the history of of, of yeah. metal in general, especially thrash metal. And yeah, this really like important track from the from the genre's history, which gives me a little more appreciation and a little more ability to kind of put it in context and give it some give it some phrasing. The um the part that I I mean I like the best the the, the lyrics are it's I mean yeah they're they seem to treat lyrics like a blunt instrument, which I think is, I'm sure, part of the, I, I'm sure that's part of the intent, given the just nightmarish subject matter. And Ryan, I'm with you. I didn't quite pick up on the racist neo-Nazi kind of. Oh, this is what we, we what we believe. This it was more like kind of a, you know, lifting up the rock, looking at the horrible rot underneath it kind of thing. Um, not that it made it any pleasanter to listen to, right. <laughs> or or read, you know. But um, I, I I think what I found was that when it when the lyrics kind of cut out and it goes into the the lead break at the like with like the at like the three and a half minute mark or three minute mark where it is that was really like oh, okay now it's like it is really kicked into high gear for me and I I, was, I I love that I thought that was great and my wife was I think close to making me just turn it off right then and there. She she, she really yeah. actively hated this. She's like, who picked that? And I you said know, it was Aaron. I listened to this song in the gym. I decided that would be a good time to listen to it. And I was done and I like I wanted to lift all the weights right now. Like it was <laughs> if that was the goal, A plus, man. Like they <laughs> succeeded in getting me pumped up. So I can like I, I'm with Nate. Like I don't feel like I have the vocabulary to really talk about it intelligently. But if it's like my impression of thrash and most metal is that it's trying to get a very visceral reaction. Yes. And if that's the point, it's like, good job, like you did it, you know. Right. So this is a way of. I should also point out, I'm not sure I even necessarily like it, <laughs> like the song. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's it's more of a. I, I can I, I think finding out some historical context helped me to appreciate it more as like a museum piece kind of thing because I it, it's 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 a little exhausting like I get to the end and I'm a little like ooh boy uh-huh. worn out um and worn and not just worn out musically but you know emotionally it's a it's an ugly draining lyric and um a, a very a, a, and not a not a pleasant one to dig to dig into at all so if I can throw a couple more things and hear from John. I'll, yeah, I was gonna say you uh, go ahead. Then, you go ahead, and then I'll yeah, I'll be the blunt be instrument at the end. Um, <laughs> the, the the first is the you, the not really seeing why this would be seen as racist. I mean, you can imagine, but that you didn't interpret it that way. I kind of didn't never did either until I saw Jeff Hanneman and read about him, and he's a you know blonde hair, pale. He looks. He looks like your Aryan. He looks like a neo-Nazi, yes. And mm. he's interested in Nazi history. He has a collection of Nazi models, and his favorite is the German Knight's Cross. Just his kind of interest in his hobby aligned with this song and his interest in the, the works of this person just rub people the wrong way. So that's... Well, and you know, and on, this, on, on the same thing, it seemed like the band never out and out denied it. They just kind of were kind of coy about it um, from what I understood. And even to the point where they started, they used some kind of low-key, you know, Third Reich 
imagery in tours going into the you know into the 90s which tells me they didn't they didn't outright reject it and i'm sure well, that's that because they made a lot of money from the exactly. neo nazis they adopted it as an anthem and then the second thing i was going to say there's a line at the end toward the end where he says feeding on the screams of the mutant he's creating feeding on the screams of the mutant and that's a quote from a, film, from a horror film based on the life of this doctor. It's a 1978 film. And what's interesting is this basing, taking lyrics and drawing on these horror films and novels, it's a, it happens a lot in this genre. Um, the most important, I think, is Metallica's song One from their Injustice for All, which was 1989, so this is after that. That whole song is based on an old Dalton Trombone novel, uh, Johnny Got His Gun. And the film, which is a, you know about some. Anyway, you can go look it up. But it, it's a it's a horror kind of war story, and there's just a lot rich history of people dwelling on these horror themes. The thing that should not be a Metallica. Also, Rhino itself, the song about being executed. So this fits into that, and at some level, this is the uh, the best example of being truly horrifying. And so I think that's also what's going on in this song. This is the best way to horrify people. John. Okay. Um, I'm going to be brutally honest. I forced myself to listen to this song twice. <laughs> Uh, the first time I, the first time I read the lyrics while I listened to it, the second time I distinctly did not, so that I would ha be tr be able to try to push them out of my mind as the song was going on and just try to focus on the music, um, because the lyrics made me hate the song so much that I did not want to even give it a second view. But I thought that was disingenuous to the discussion, sure. um, especially after I did some research and it basically found this, you know really, really cop-out explanation that Hannah Minnick given about, you know, the irresponsibility of writing and ex and basically bringing up these horrible things um, and not in a respectful manner, in a horrific, horrific yeah, manner. Kind of, it's yeah. kind of like a guy that, you know, their art is they take pictures of dongs and they blow them up to 10 foot by 10 foot. That's and, not nice to say about Ryan's artwork. And then wonder why people are offended. I worked very hard. Well, I'm I'm very interested in the in the you know the aesthetic of the dong, you know. Right. And, you know. Or the infamous uh, seriously. Yeah. I, I mean, it, part of me thinks that um, it was just a shock song, and that's literally, you know. That's why they did it. Um, I don't give him a pass for you know racism because you know his his hobbies speak for themselves. You know, you know if I had a collection of you know things about slavery and I like to write songs about beating the slaves in the South, and then when somebody asked me why do I do this, well I'm just kind of interested in this in slavery in the South. 
Um, people yeah, no, one's, like, I mean, no, no one's going to give that a pass. Yeah, uh, I mean, and so that's where... Now, I will say, um, because I know this is your area of expertise, and I have no area of expertise in this area whatsoever. I like Metallica, but, I mean, Metallica has a very short shelf life with me uh, on more than... I mean, I've listened to Master Puppets all the way through, and that was a little hard for me to do, um, just because that's that's definitely not my genre. But, you know, I tried to give this song as much respect as I could, uh, which, in the end, was, you know... God, I hated it. Um, and, you know, that doesn't, again, it doesn't, it doesn't affect the amount of work I tried to put into researching, you know, background on it and things like that because, again, if somebody's completely misunderstood and, he, you know, he could have come out and said, you know what, this was something that we did to raise awareness of the Holocaust and, you know, we donated monies or something from the album sales. But no, yeah, I find out the things that, you know, I was hearing, which he's, you know, got a collection of Nazi memorabilia and um, things like that. And I'm like, okay. And then the comments in these forums where they're discussing it, you know, it's half Nazis basically saying, this is an awesome song because it talks about that. And half people who are just trying to justify it. Um, and so I, I had a hard time with it. Um I, again, I, I appreciate the diversity in music, um, and you know, there's they're they're definitely a very important band in metal. I mean, nobody that has ever even heard of metal has not heard of Slayer. Um, I mean, that's you know, everybody's heard of Slayer, um, unless you've lived under a rock. So, I mean, I I appreciate that their contributions to that genre. I just I guess I don't appreciate the genre as much, and the lyrics really did me in on this one. It's kind of a more magnified version of what happened last week, uh, or last <laughs> month, with uh, Porcupine Tree, uh, Shallow, where that was just, I felt kind of insulted by the like the laziness of the lyrics, um, and some of the, you know, I wasn't insulted as much by like the actual this content. This one they were working very hard specifically This one they worked you. really hard to piss me off. <laughs> um, I think that was probably the point. Exactly. And again, I, I, I'm sure. I think that is the point. I get what you're saying, Ryan. Yeah. Like if yeah. if I was, uh, you said you know you wanted to lift all the weights in the gym, and I'm I'm assuming you said lift and not lick. Um, Both. <laughs> he does that too. <laughs> you know, I could see either one, uh, but. Uh, but no, I, I get the I get the like pumped up feeling. I mean, I, Metallica does that for me, um, and you know, you know, it, it, I get that. I just oh my gosh, I gave it two listens and you, you did know, your due diligence. <laughs> that's about all yeah. I could handle. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, I I I want to. We've talked about this one for a good fifteen minutes, so I'm trying to. Start winding yeah. this down. Does anyone else have something they really want to add about about Angel of Death by Slayer? I just love the contrast between The Wire and then Angel of Death. <laughs> <laughs> Worst playlist ever. <laughs> it automatically pre-fills in Spotify as schizophrenia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. 